Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today, after three years, we are revisiting the topic of our second Paper Team episode, comedy versus drama. Should you still declare a major in the age of dramedies and blending formats? And are banners and page counts still relevant as a TV writer? Well, we're going to share our thoughts in this episode. So let's begin. So way back in 2016, on our episode two, uh, Comedy versus Drama Declare Your TV Major, uh, we discussed a few things. So let's go over those now. This is a recap. Yeah. So one element that we talked about was simply the concept of formats in TV writing. This is something that we've talked about at length over the years. TV writing is essentially a structural medium. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it has multiple acts. Now, if you look at a half hour versus a one hour on a page count and on a script count, those two things are going to be quite different, which is why we initially talked about having to declare a major because you need to uh, be in one frame or the other when you're breaking down that story and that pilot, especially when you're first starting out. Right, exactly. And honestly, we still do stand by pretty much everything we said in that episode. We're not really uh, redacting that or revising it, but we have seen some changes in the landscape and TV and the industry and how writers are now crossing genres and boundaries and more shows are, are doing that as well. So we wanted to go back and discuss it in depth and have, take a look at how things have changed. Absolutely. And, and the first thing was sort of talking about what prompted this episode for us. Why are we talking about comedy versus trauma in 2019? And how is that different from 2016? Because 2016 wasn't that long ago, but it feels like forever ago, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the rise of Trump has directly led to uh, needing more comedy in all of our lives. Now, on that note, let's talk about the shift of uh, the industry as well as our own experiences, because those are sort of the big things that led us to this episode. Now, back in PT 115, which wasn't too long ago, we did talk a bit about sort of writing for both comedy and drama when we featured Michelle Badillo and Caroline Levitch in our episode uh, when they discussed uh, writing for both One Day at a Time and The Bull Type, as well as other TV shows. And also, we've been answering questions on that very topic as recently as last week's Paper Scraps episode, so it did make sense for us to revisit the issue with our own perspective in 2019. Yeah, it is one of those evergreen issues that people are always asking about. I want to be a comedy writer, but also a drama writer. What do I do? You know, all those kinds of things. And honestly, like it has changed just a little bit enough that it's worth us going back in and finding out if the answers to those questions that are always being asked remain the same uh, even right now in 2019. Yeah, I definitely feel like this is an interesting topic to discuss specifically because those boundaries have become more and more porous, both in terms of the content in of itself, as well as the writer's room and the way those rooms are staffed. So the first thing that we did want to mention, besides catching you guys up on the second episode of our Paper Team Saga, was the state of the industry since that last episode on that topic. Yeah, so first and foremost, it does feel like in this day and age, the lines between what is a comedy and what is a drama are becoming more and more blurred. While traditionally, especially in the early days of TV, it was quite easy to tell what a comedy was because it was your classic half-hour sitcom that, that felt very much, you know, it might have been a multi-cam or it might have been single cam that still had that very traditional structure. And then your hour-longs were all your dramas and procedurals, and they also followed the exact same structure. But now more and more, we are seeing the rise of these things like half-hour dramas and hour-long comedies, and then some things that sit somewhere in between of that. And it, and it really kind of begs the question of, what makes something a comedy and what makes something a drama these days. Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of that content comes down to both the 
length of that program as well as its content in of itself. So if you look at a show like VOA, which has a, a heavily differentiating format from another classic one-hour drama, uh, if you look at the pilot of the OA, it's like this uh, immense sort of hour-long, I think, uh, pilot, but then you go down deeper into the show and it's, you know, your more traditional 40, 50-minute beat as opposed to something like Master of None, which is pretty serious. Even though it's a comedy, it has a very grounded uh, sensibility, but it is still a half-hour at its core. I think one of the things that has led to this kind of confusion, I guess, is that traditionally it's been easy enough to open up a script or take a look at the runtime of something and say, well, this is clearly a comedy and this is clearly a drama based off of that. But these days, the episode lengths, even from episode to episode within a series can vary. You mentioned the OA, there's a 31 minute episode and there's a 71 minute episode. So what is that? Is that a comedy or a drama in a traditional format? You know, Maniac had uh, an episode that was 26 minutes and it had one that was 47. That's comedy length and drama length traditionally and you've got like limited series like black mirror that can be anything from 41 to 89 minutes so sometimes they feel like a movie and sometimes they feel like a drama episode yeah and part of that change is definitely linked to the rise of the otts and a web series and sort of the blending of the genres and the formats in of themselves because you're not limited to the real estate of a linear television i think that is the key that held back with the door that hodored this different format or this strange in the formats because if you look at linear TV, you had to fit that content in a square or a rectangle or whatever it is in terms of the schedule, right? It had to be from 8 p.m. till 8.30 or from 8 p.m. till 9 p.m. And that could not be changed because of advertising and a bunch of different issues. But in the age of OTT and non-linear TV and VODs, then that issue doesn't even exist. You can create a content that's five minute long and you can create a content that's a hundred minute long. It doesn't really change the way you consume it. Exactly. I think when people are streaming these things on demand now and you're not necessarily watching it in a lineup of other programming, it's easy to sometimes even forget or ignore the runtime on the bottom of it. You're just watching a single piece of content. Like Alex said, it doesn't have to conform to these boundaries anymore for the sake of advertising or the sake of not running into the next episode's time slot. So I think for a lot of us, it's almost going over our head and maybe the next generations as they come up won't even think about tv in that way anymore it's just it is what it is and it fits the runtime that it needs to and whatever it is is best for the format or best for the, the content hmm. are we already that old are we the the past generation now <laughs> can we pretend to be generation z I mean, I guess I just mean that we grew up still watching traditional TV in those time slots, and now it's all slightly changing. So if if kids are you know being raised today only on Netflix and only on streaming services, which uh, presumably they are, I don't believe yeah. that most kids, what's quote unquote kids these days, get off my lawn. Uh, <laughs> tuning uh, into are, CBS, yeah, they, they're not tuning in for CBS, uh, not even CBS Access. I mean, most of them only have Netflix. I'm sure if you ask any person under, let's say, you know, 16, do you watch TV? They're gonna be like, no. I watch Netflix because they don't understand the difference. Oh wait, Netflix is TV or it carries shows on Netflix. I'm sure like most people who watch The Good Place on Netflix don't even know that The Good Place exists on NBC. Yeah, there's a lot of people that don't even have physical TV sets in their house because they will watch their streaming services on their laptop or their iPad or their phone. If you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to do that myself, but oh people do that. Especially you know, growing up, people growing up watching like YouTube content and whatever. It's it's more common to consume media on those devices. Yes. So yeah, we might be losing not just time slots in traditional TV, but literal TV sets. How dare you, Nick? Watch content on your phone? That's unacceptable. <laughs> Now, we've been talking about this for a second. Uh, let's look at some examples of those blurring genres and blurring TV shows. So if you're not familiar with any of these, there are... Uh 
particularly recently, a rise of half-hour dramas. One of the examples is Homecoming on Amazon, which is adapted from the podcast. So I guess I can see why, you know, they're taking these shorter format stories and putting them in that format uh, and keeping it to a half-hour. Yeah, especially because the way that podcast was consumed had to be in a similar way translated into a TV show. So when you're translating one format to the next, that's probably an element of the, the formatting and the structure that people love to keep. Exactly. It also seems like Stars is doing a lot of this kind of half-hour drama as well. Uh, you've got the show Vita and the show Girlfriend Experience. Personally, I haven't seen either of them, so I can't really speak necessarily to the content of that, but it's interesting to see that some networks are more willing or more wanting to explore this kind of space than others. Can't speak to your experience about the Girlfriend Experience? <laughs> no, I have a fiancé, so I can't. <laughs> so be it, so be it. There's also Story for Your Loss, the Facebook Watch TV show. Is it a TV show now? I don't even know what to call these things. Right. Uh, they're not really web series, but they're not TV shows either. Yeah. And again, I can see why something like Facebook Watch would be looking to condense their programming down into a half hour kind of thing, because I feel like people aren't used to sitting down and watching an hour worth of video content on their Facebook feed. So maybe they're trying to kind of like lean people into that a little bit easier. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that is true. But then also, if you look at the actual content of the show, it's interesting to see that these are not lighthearted shows. Sorry for Your Loss is about grief and features Elizabeth Austin in a very dramatic role. If you look at another show that came out around the same time, uh, Debt to Me on Netflix, that was also a much more lighthearted take on that angle. And it also kind of blurred uh, the genres and the format. So even though these are platforms like Facebook that don't necessarily have people waiting for an hour for content, they're still delivering the weight of that piece of content, which is interesting to me. Yeah, exactly. They're not sticking just to, you know, if they realize that most people watch puppy videos on Facebook, they're not just like, well, let's give them a bunch of light, <laughs> lighthearted schmaltz to watch. They're really actually still delving into serious topic matter, and they're not really limiting themselves in that way. And then on the flip side of the coin, you have one hour comedies, I guess, you know, that, that really are tonally in that comedic space, but format wise, they are sticking to an hour long. So one example of this that's been going on for a while now is Jane the Virgin. And it is in this one hour kind of format because it's, it's the satirization of telenovela, but it really is quite a comedic show, even though it goes for a full hour. And it, they've put themselves in, specifically in the comedy category for the Emmys. So even you know amongst themselves, they've recognized that we see this as a comedy. Yeah. And once again, it's a translation of one format to the next, which is why you're seeing the same sort of disparity and similarities in uh, other ways. And to that point, Shameless is another adaptation from a British format into an American format that is very comedic. It's a sort of this family drama in a way, but also very dark humor attached to it. To speak to sort of the network side of things, again, there are a lot of these cable networks that don't really do half hour slots. They only do one hour programming, but they're willing to tonally explore some more comedic kind of things in those one hour spaces. Besides the one hour comedies and the half hour dramas, which are sort of the extremes of the spectrum, we got to talk about the dramedies, which I think fit in the middle of that spectrum, notably shows like Insecure, Better Things, Atlanta, Barry is probably the classic example that a lot of people are referring to now. Mm -hmm. Lethal Weapon is another one, and both Lethal Weapon and Barry, which we'll talk more about in a, a bit. And this episode, both of those writers' rooms are mixed staffed, meaning they have both comedy people and drama people, classically a comedy and drama in the sense of one hour and half hour writers. Right. And then the interesting thing about about these shows too is that they can either be a half hour or an hour long in format and then what makes them a dramedy i guess is really just the mixing of their tone and, and where they kind of land on that spectrum <laughs>
Well, speaking of mixed rooms, let's delve into how this uh, evolving change in formats and genres is impacting the industry. And notably, like we just mentioned, writer's rooms are changing. A lot of those writer's rooms are bringing in comedy people for more uh, dramedy one-hour projects. And some other rooms that are more dramedies half-hour are bringing in drama writers like Barry. Uh, so it's interesting to look at how they're hiring uh, those different set of skills which brings us back to what we said back in episode two, which was the reason why you wanted to declare your major was because the showrunner is looking for a specialist. I think you had that uh, perfect metaphor, right? If you want to share it again. Oh, yeah. So remembering all the way back to then, I believe the metaphor was that if your toilet is backed up and it's overflowing everywhere and there's stuff all over the floor, are you going to pick up the, you know, I guess these days you're not really picking up a, a white pages or something like that. But uh, <laughs> if you're, you're going to go Google for someone to fix this, are you going to look for a general handyman who does everything from cleaning your gutters to mowing your lawn to looking at, at pipes? Or are you going to get specifically a trained plumber with 20 years of experience who specializes in getting clogs out of pipes? You know, you're going to go for the person who specifically does that job the best that they can and they've made their life and their passion about doing that job rather than someone who can maybe do a little bit of everything. Exactly. Yeah. And that was basically why we said all the way back in episode two and uh, up until this point that you need to be specialized in a specific subject and now it seems like okay hold on everything is a little bit blurred everything is a little bit convoluted should i still declare my major should i still focus on one thing or the other well the advice the beautiful metaphor that Nick just shared with us still holds true it's still relevant because those people those comedy people being hired on drama rooms and those drama people being hired on comedy rooms are still specialist in their subjects, right? They're not generalists in that sense. They're still one hour and a half hour people originally that are now moving into other formats, but they are hired because of their special set of skills in other areas. Right. We've talked about how people staff rooms and, and kind of try to put in specific specialists who can do different things. So if someone's putting together a dramedy room, instead of going and finding 10 dramedy writers who kind of do a little bit of everything and their stuff sits right in the middle, they are going to go find someone who has written on a bunch of character-driven drama shows to, to make sure they have their, their character specialist. And then they're going to find someone who's written on some family sitcoms because they want some laughter and some levity from the the family dynamics there and to bring that into it as well. So they're still looking for specialized people who have experience in exactly what they want rather than people who are still trying to shoot that lane down the middle. Yeah. And your example that you just gave is essentially what happened with Barry. You have Liz Sarnoff who got hired on Barry, which is presumably this half hour dramedy slash comedy from Bill Hader. It seems very light. A hitman who tries to be an actor. That seems kind of ridiculous and farcical. But Liz Sarnoff, amongst the other writers, obviously brought in that grounded drama gritty reality that she's used to because she's written on shows like NYPD Blue and uh, Lost and Deadwood. And she's bringing that reality and that somberness to the drama and the comedy of Barry. And in fact, the most acclaimed episode of the first season was her episode. And so I think that does show that the blending of the genres and bringing in a drama person 
on a half hour comedy really worked in this case. Exactly. And I think that Barry as a show could have gone in different directions with its tone and how it went if they had perhaps hired different people or had a different vision for it. There's a world in which Barry looks a lot like, say, Archer, but as a live action thing where you have this kind of ridiculous over the top situations of this hitman bumbling around through Hollywood and, and it's all just a complete farce. Or it could look something like a, like a burn notice where it's all very blue sky action based things, but no one really gets hurt at the end of the day. But instead, what we have is something that really mines the lowest lows as well as these kind of ridiculous satirical highs uh, and achieves a great balance between that. And if you want to look at an opposite example of this, you can look at Lethal Weapon on Fox, which is a one hour that did staff a lot of comedy people because they wanted to bring the lightness and the levity of the feature films into the series, which is admittedly a pretty classic cop action procedural on Fox. And so they really wanted to contrast that with some levity in the dialogue and in the interactions with the characters. And from uh, the fans of the show, it seems like it has worked really well. Now, another really good reason why you still want to kind of pick your lane and declare your major and specialize in something is because a lot of the pathways for emerging writers, inspiring writers to get through are things like fellowships or screenwriting competitions. Also as well, just kind of being put on the desks of, say, manager's assistants or whatever it happens to be. And all of those people are still looking for specialists. They're looking for people that pick their lane and do what they do really well. They're inundated by so many different scripts that if they find something that's middling or doesn't feel like it knows what it is or the writer doesn't know exactly what they want to do and have the samples to back that up, then they're probably just not going to waste their time. Yeah, and it comes down to the same thing, and that is the format of your script. Because if you look at the fellowships, they ask for a drama and a comedy. But if you look at the actual content of those shows, nine times out of 10, it is based on the format of that show, not necessarily the tone of that show. And the other thing to think about is during those fellowships, those programs, and even on those assistance desks, they want to see a continuity in your writing portfolio. So they, if you're going to be submitting a half hour dramedy that's very dramatic but uh, has some humor in it then the next sample will not really match probably that sample because if you're a half hour writer then your next sample will probably be very comedic and if you're a one hour sample then your next sample is going to be very dramatic now that's not to say you are not going to want to write a half hour dramedy we've both uh, written uh, that kind of content however that's not what you should front load your entire career and your portfolio when you're first starting out exactly and whether you're an aspiring writer or a low level or mid-level writer or whatever happens to be, you kind of need to give your reps the help that they need to sell you too. Because not only do they have to sell you to showrunners and shows, but they have to sell you internally at their agency meetings when they are talking about staffing and who out of our roster of a thousand clients or whatever should we put up for this? And then your agent is going to be able to vouch for you and say, I know that Alex Friedman writes the best genre about death there is. So we're going to put him up for this six feet under reboot called seven feet under. Uh, and I think that he's the best for it. And this is why. And then they're, they're not going to be thinking about their client, Joe Schmo, who has a dramedy somewhere and, and, and might possibly be able to write it if you gave him a shot. And then going back to the whole sort of competitions fellowship side of things, the readers there are looking for very specific things. And if you put say a very kind of lighthearted jokey, hour in there that doesn't follow procedural beats or whatever it is that you're trying to do or the vice versa you're submitting kind of a half hour drama with no laughs and they're sitting there and their expectations are here's a half hour sitcom it should make me laugh then you're also going to be kind of you know perhaps unfairly prejudiced there and they're going to be looking for something to tick specific boxes and fit uh, in a format and if you're not doing that 
it's a lot riskier for you. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it or you can't do it, but there's a bigger chance that it's just going to be thrown out because they don't think you're going for the right format instead of someone who's actively made a choice to do this. I think that's a great point that a lot of people forget is you're being judged on some level against other people, especially when you look at those fellowships. It's not just based obviously on the content of your script and how good it is. It's just based on, especially when you consider that they're receiving, like, let's say a hundred different this is us spec. They want to see continuity in the format and on top of obviously your creativity and your originality. But as soon as that This Is Us seems more like a dramedy that's a little bit too light, it doesn't really fit the tone of This Is Us, which is very melodramatic and emotion heavy and character based. Yeah. And the last thing to say, I guess, about comedy versus drama within the industry is awards. And this can be kind of a contentious area because some shows will deliberately submit themselves for what they see as the weaker category or what has the less competition. So you'll see these hour-long by-format dramas that have some jokes and some levity in them submitting themselves in the comedy category because they think they have a better chance of winning the Emmy there. Yeah, I mean, the Emmys and the awards, the way the way they divide those categories is arguably the opposite of the way they should be doing it, uh, which is the way the rest of the industry does it, i.e., by the format of it. I still contend that half hour should be in the half hour and the one hour should be in the one hour. The tone of it is very different, but structurally, that is what TV is. It's a structural medium. We keep saying it, at least I do, every single episode. It has different acts with different bricks and different elements uh, and scenes. You can't just combine both of them and expect the same results. Right. I think that would be a fairer way to do it. There was some talk of we should create a dramedy category, but I think that would just contribute to the problem yeah. even more. And you do have these shows that kind of switch around. I think Orange is the New Black was a kind of a uh, culprit of that for a little while. And so they ended up introducing this rule that once you switch into a category, you have to stay there. It's permanent. So you can't just kind of like change for one season because you think you got a better shot. So we've talked about the impact of this blending of genres and formats in the industry. But what about you listening to this right now? How does that impact your own writing and your own craft? How should you approach this? Well, let's talk about our own thoughts on this and how we've experienced it ourselves. What are some of your personal experiences? So I had always just seen myself as a comedy writer. I mean, I guess at one point I thought I wanted to do drama early on. And then once I started writing comedy, I realized how much I loved it. And I wanted to stay in that lane. And I, I never tried to straddle those lanes. I was like, I love animation. I love comedy. This is what I'm going to do. And then I got staffed in the final space room. And what was really interesting about that is that it's a half hour animated comedy. However, it's still very heavily serialized. There's actually a lot of heart to it and a lot of sort of drama within that. And when we were writing it, we were actually thinking about it more as a sci-fi in the way that, you know, classic Star Trek or that kind of thing is and, and writing it and structuring it in that way. And then just kind of making it funny on top. We weren't looking at it as here's an episode of a sitcom and then throwing some sci-fi elements in to kind of make it like that. So I think that it really helped me grow as a writer and open my kind of perspectives towards, oh, just because we're in a half hour comedy, it doesn't have to be family guy. It can still have serialization. It can still have drama and it can still have a lot of heart to it. I've kind of incorporated that a little bit more into my writing and taking that in as even within a format, you can still branch out and explore 
different areas tonally and dramatically. That's a pretty interesting point in the idea that even though you may be in this half hour format, that that's not really a jail. You can still explore those different elements like serialization, science fiction, all these different pieces that exist most times, to be fair, in a trauma spectrum, but you can incorporate them within your half hour. So I think a lot of people felt, especially when they're starting out, the half hour versus one hour debate feels very limiting. It's like, okay, I only have 30 pages. What does that mean? I can't really express my creativity. I'm not a real writer, whatever that means. Well, the reality is that you're still bound when you're a TV writer by those rules. <laughs> they don't go out the window just because you're staffed on a show. In fact, it's just the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. The network is going to come down on you to fit those things in the squares. Now, with all that said, I think uh, that's a great point that you just said about expressing yourself within those boundaries and, and sort of discovering new ways of exploring that format. And I think that's a great change and why it's not all negative to have those blending formats and genres. And that's because you can still explore those different things and add different elements from different genres. Yeah. And those kind of boundaries and limitations will breed creativity. Telling an entire kind of sci-fi planet of the week arc or whatever within a half hour space and still making it funny is is challenging, but it's also fun. And it encourages you to kind of come up with new ideas and innovate because you don't have all that room. And like, how are we going to get all this characterization and character arcs fit within this when we have all this action and that sort of thing? So yeah, exactly. Like Alex said, don't let it, the format feel like it's a limitation to you. It's simply just kind of like the box within you get to play and the, all the tools are still there and available. It's like a great sandbox. Yeah. On my end, I can't really say that I've been in a one hour room where there's a bunch of comedy people or it was thought more as a comedic light show because that's not the reality of most dramas even to this day and most of them are very serious uh, you know based grounded or sci-fi genre now in terms of my own writing i will say that i recently started writing a half hour dramedy for the first time every sample i've written so far in terms of tv have all been one hour 60 ish pages this was the very first half hour which to be fair could still evolve into one hour as we speak but my belief is based on the acts the action the characters the dialogue and everything being set up as it stands it's going to stay as a half hour and what really pushed me in that direction was First, Barry, to be honest. Barry was sort of a game changer, especially for me, of seeing a half hour that could bring the drama and the thrilling element of something like Breaking Bad, which is very rare to see, especially in a half hour. And the second part is just based on the content of what I'm writing about, it just made the most sense because it's not a high concept show. It's very character-based and it's also very dialogue-based. It's very low-key kind of like in treatment. In treatment is a half-hour piece and it's also very dialogue-driven and that's also very dramatic as well. Uh, And third example of something that's adapted from another format that's keeping that half-hour element to it. Now, in terms of what I'm achieving with that is, well, firstly, it's changing the way I think about stories in the same way that Nick, you just brought up the, you know, the sci-fi and serialization element. I'm thinking about it more on, okay, how can I convey the, this amount of character development and this amount of dialogue and this amount of story in a very limited format while still having fun and being entertaining in a way that in a one hour, you have so much exposition to do. I feel like whether in a half hour, it's just, you got to get to it right now. You just got to talk it out and you got to be, well, funny, not in my case, but Mm -hmm. generally speaking, speaking, you got to be active and interesting in a very unique way. And I think that's probably the best thing about this for me is 
I only have so much real estate, so every single scene really matters to a point where even in a one hour, I think you do get lost in the woods sometimes, establishing set pieces or establishing uh, exposition or different uh, turn of events on a story level, whereas this is very character-driven and, and grounded and limited in a way that's really freeing. Right. Having more pages gives you more rope to hang yourself with, <laughs> <laughs> whereas if you have less, you've really got to condense everything down and only have the very best stuff in there, which is why comedies are better than dramas. No, <laughs> dramas are better than comedies. Let's be honest over here. I was going to say it allows you for more uh, paper cuts. Because yeah, my pages. And I mean, I've always been a strong believer in the notion that there should always be some element of levity in drama and there should always be some element of heart in comedy. And that's not always the case. I think I would struggle to see, again, using Family Guy as an example, some sort of like heart in that because it's a very <laughs> cynical kind of show. Um, but perhaps there is catharsis in a way, whether it's someone seeing, getting some comeuppance for something they've done wrong and we laugh at that or whatever. You know, I still think Family Guy does have some heart, especially yeah. when you look at the Brian and Stewie, Stewie episodes. Yeah. They do have a little bit of a pathos to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I still feel like that advice still holds true. Broadly speaking, I, I'm having a hard time thinking, well, it's funny because I think something like The Shield is probably the best example of Oz uh, or the two examples I can think of of traumas that are very much not really funny. Oz does have some humor. Oz was a laugh riot. (laughs) (laughs) A laugh riot into insanity, probably. No, it's, I mean, it is true that most dramas should have some element of levity to your point. I don't think really that means being funny. I just Mm -hmm. think you do need to have that light in the darkness at some point because otherwise, especially when you're starting out running a pilot or something like that, even the shield still has some light in its pilot just because it's so bleak and you got to contrast it. If it's just dark, 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 in the same way that I think if it's just light, 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 you know, dark for the sake of dark just feels depressing and light for the sake of light just seems fruitless. It just seems kind of useless as a, as a piece. Exactly. And I think that when I'm writing comedy, I often approach it by breaking the story almost as if it were a drama first, and then finding the inherent elements in the character and the situation and that sort of thing that are going to make it funny uh, and tweaking those around. But you want to make sure that the story still works fundamentally in a dramatic fashion so that people care about it and they're invested in the stakes of it and all of that kind of thing as well. Oh, absolutely. I think that's something that needs to be restated is even though you're writing a half hour, one hour comedy, drama, the whatever genre of format you're writing, it needs to be based on character and story and on some level of structure. Even with a half hour comedy that I'm writing, I sort of know the catharsis and the journey of my characters. It needs to have emotion. And I'm still breaking it on a conceptual level as a drama. Even though it's a half hour, I'm considering it as a drama. The concept of dramedy is only because some situations are funny in of themselves, but I'm not purposefully bringing the humor in it. It's just kind of organically within the world that you kind of laugh at it because of how ridiculous it can be, but it's not aimed as being a comedy. It's primarily broken, at least for me, it's broken as a drama with character development. So I think that's a great way of thinking about it. Going back to that notion of kind of branding yourself and finding your your pigeonhole or your specialization, I think one thing that Alex and I were talking about earlier is that, and also back in episode two, is that notion of like finding what it, what is your personal like niche or theme or through line in everything that you write, whether it is more dramatic or more comedic or whatever it is. I think a lot of us have a, perhaps a subject or a thematic area that fascinates us and keeps coming up again and again, whether you're conscious of it or not. Absolutely. And it keeps going back to the same idea of when you're going to be out in meetings, what are people going to talk about with you and how are you going to describe yourself to them and how are other people going to describe you to those other people? And having that through line, having that theme that crystallizes who you are as a writer, what you want to talk about and what you think about 
is vital to your career, not just for that sample or the next sample or the next sample, but really for the longevity and the long term. Right. And whether that thing is a fascination with exploring death and how it affects people or perhaps dysfunctional families and relationships, you know, try to really rack your brain and, and take a look at all the stuff that you've written and find what is that connecting factor between all of them. And I think that that will help you stand out and, you know, find your brand and what makes you special as a writer, regardless of, of your format. So now we're going to cover some frequently asked questions that you know our listeners might have on this topic. Uh, the first one is, uh, does the page count still matter? Well, spoiler alert, yes, it does. I think this is a recurring motif in uh, this episode. Despite the fact that you're writing half hour or one hour or comedy or drama, those pages still count because all the counter examples we just gave, like uh, the OA or Maniac, those are professional writers producing those episodes. This is not a newer writer coming on the scene with a sample or a spec. So you got to keep that in mind in terms of where are you in your career and how do you want to be perceived? If you want to be perceived as a half hour writer, then you should be writing half hours, you know, 30-ish pages. If you're a one hour writer, then you should be writing one hour content, 60-ish pages. And that's just the reality of it. Again, TV is a structural medium. We keep repeating it. It stays true. Right. And I don't think that you should ever use the blurring of lines and genres and formats as an excuse to be lazy with uh, the tightness of your writing and just write, say, uh, 47 pages or 39 or something like that and being like, well, it's a dramedy. It sits somewhere between the two. I mean, well, you've still got to kind of have some discipline and write to your act breaks and be consistent about that and have an idea for what kind of time slot it would fit into, even if you do envision it being uh, on Netflix or whatever. Yeah. Keep in mind that breaking a one hour is still different than breaking a half hour. So that, those are the different elements you have to think of when you're switching back and forth between those formats. That breaking process, that outlining, those acts still matter regardless of the length. Right. Something I see in a lot of people's samples is that they just write for as long as they want, whatever amount of pages it happens to be with no act breaks because they're envisioning it for cable or Netflix. Uh, and their stories are weaker for it. I think I've very rarely seen uh, a script that's been written without act breaks that is as strong as one that writes to its breaks. Always, always act breaks, even though they don't exist in your final product. All right, how long is a dramedy, Nick? Maybe we'll finally solve the question in this very episode. <laughs> I mean, which came first, the chicken or the egg? But uh, I would say traditionally dramedies are more likely to be a half hour just with a more dramatic content to it. However, that is entirely up to you. In my mind, I think that you can either write it in the half hour or the hour long format, and th that's your call on it. Yeah, I agree to some extent. I feel like, again, it comes down to how you want to be perceived. I would say a lot of those USA type shows are dramedies. They're very light and they're one hour, but they still fit in that procedural one hour mold, right? And that's because those are the kinds of shows they are. So if that's more your take and you still have that light levity, kind of like Lucifer is another example on Netflix right now, uh, those are great one hour light dramedies, but that's still not the same as, you know, the examples we gave earlier of Barry, which is a dramedy, but it's still very heavy, has a lot of comedy and half hour elements to it in a way that the USA shows don't. 
That's a good point to look to shows that you are hoping that it'd be similar to or, or would succeed in that space and model it after their format. So let's say you are writing a pilot that you're like, this is going to be the next FBI and I can see it on CBS, but then it's a half hour. They're going to be like, well, we can't do anything with that. <laughs> FBI on CBS next. So what if someone's like, well, I'm funny. Does that mean I should be a comedy writer? <laughs> yes, always. Isn't that the concept of this episode is if you're funny, you can be a comedy writer. No, that doesn't really translate. Comedy writer and being funny are two different things. Again, it comes back to the same idea of doing a half hour. It's not the same as uh, being funny. Humor and uh, structure are not quite the same thing. Right. And there's always a place for humor in a lot of drama shows as well. So uh, being funny is, is an asset, but it doesn't mean that you are bound and restricted to writing comedy because you can tell a joke or you've done stand up or whatever it happens to be. It's, it's what, what interests you? What are you passionate about? What do you want to write? Now, let me ask you, is animation a separate major? Again, do I need to declare that I'm specifically an animation writer? Yes and no. It really depends on, I guess, what kind of animation you want to do. Are you incidentally doing animation because you write comedy and, and you'd be down for that? Or is animation something that you're genuinely passionate about and you would want to work in that space? There's a lot of different kinds of animation. There's everything from like seven minute long preschool bridge animation to 11 minute long uh, kids animation that often be aired back to back stuff like on Nickelodeon or uh, you know Hasbro shows. Uh, there are like boys action adventure animation like Ben 10 and sort of stuff. And then there's ones that are more kind of a, a comedic thing like you know cat dog or whatever it happens to be. And then again, you've got your half hour like adult animation and that can be primetime animation like Bob's Burgers or it can be full on adult animation like Rick and Morty adult swim type stuff. So there's a huge broad swath of different options to you available within animation. So I think that, again, if animation is something you're passionate about and you specifically want to work in one of those areas, sure, declare that you are that kind of writer. I often say to people that I'm a comedy and animation writer because I'm interested in both. I think I would eventually be happy to work in live action comedy as well if that's something that came up. But for the most part, my experience has been in animation. It's something that I love and want to keep working in. But that's not to say that if you have a live action half hour sample, you're not going to get staffed on an animation show or vice versa. Structurally, it's still more or less the same. Yeah, one thing that you said that's uh, really interesting is that even in animation, there's different age groups and uh, different perspectives in terms of the audience. So I think that's another element to keep in mind is just what is your audience and how do you want to be perceived? Because if you only are writing preschool material, that's a very specific kind of audience that is not going to translate to if suddenly you're writing an archer type animation pilot. Right. And that is a kind of a pigeonhole that a lot of animation writers find themselves in is that they're able to get, say, preschool or kids animation work because there's more episodes to go around or they happen to know someone or whatever it is. And they're like, cool, I've got animation writing credits, but really what they want to write for is Rick and Morty or they want to get into live action comedy. And so people look at their resume and they're like, OK, so you want to write on Rick and Morty, but you've been writing for Bob the Builder. That can cause a disconnect with some people in terms of your branding. So just kind of be aware of that and make it clear like what it is that you you actually want to do. I know it's it's hard <laughs> at a lower level to to say, oh, I'm not going to take this paying writing work because I really want to do this instead. Take whatever you can get, but just be aware of how it may affect your branding and your ability to get more jobs. Absolutely. It always comes down to worry about what you can control, not what you can't control. And you should be able to control your brand to some extent because the only thing that people have to judge you in terms of what your brand is are your credits and your samples as 
well as your bio slash how people are talking about you. So those are the elements that on some level you should be able to control. And like you said, that's not to say you have to like turn down opportunities because we all need to you know, take those opportunities sometimes. It's just in terms of how are you going to curate and craft your own narrative and how are you going to sell yourself as a specific kind of creative? Right. And that said, sometimes you should turn down some opportunities because that isn't the image you, if this would be your third preschool credit in a row and you really, really don't want to work in this area anymore, it might be in your best interest not to do that or to do it and leave it off your resume or whatever. But there are numerous writers that have had offers, uh, say, in like the drama space, but the show isn't exactly what they want to do and they realize that in the long term it would be best if they don't waste their time doing that and they they shoot towards something that is closer to where they want to be Uh, and that's something that your manager and perhaps your agent will help you with as well in terms of what should you be aiming at and what don't you want to work in wait do people still have agents now uh i do because my agent's at verif so (laughs) on that topic what about switching between say i've gotten work in a half hour show and now i want to go over into hour-long shows how do you make that change in your career well, I would actually look at a particular example that is Jean Espenson, and she has a blog that we talked about in that very second episode back when about transitioning and working both comedy and drama. And she did it in an interesting way in the sense of most of her early career was in half hour, very comedic angles. And then she built her resume. She built her networking enough that people were willing to look at her other kinds of samples and take her seriously in that format. So I think that's one great way of doing it is by creating the content that you want to be defined as and then generate that brand for you from the beginning. Exactly. The important thing is just to have a really good sample in the area you want to work in. It's not like people are necessarily going to hold it against you that you have TV experience in a different area. You still have TV experience. And if your sample is good enough, you can get that job in a different kind of room. Yeah. And it's a great way to be a little bit more strategic about it, especially now in the era where those writers rooms are staffing comedy and drama and uh, those lines are being blurred is be strategic and look out proactively for rooms that are kind of looking for your kind of writers. Maybe it's, you know, the bull type that's looking for more comedic people or it's lethal weapon that's also looking for community people, Barry, that's looking for drama people. I'm not saying those shows, those shows are very much in demand, but generally speaking, you have to be proactive and look at where the land is. Next up is, speaking of majors, do you have to declare your major in features or can you write both comedy and drama in the feature world? That's a good question. I think that, again, the lines are maybe a little more blurred again in features because you're not specifically in a room full of comedy writers for however many months and building those connections and and putting that out there features are really their own beast where they are all the same format they're all roughly say an hour 20 long whatever it happens to be two hours long if if you're in some super long movies so in that way it's not like you necessarily have to learn how to write a completely different structure. Most features are structured roughly the same as, you know, your three act structure or your five act or whatever you want to call it. So in that regard, really what's changing is the content and the tone. And if you have the ability to go across both of those, then I think it is less restrictive. And you do see that a lot with people like say Craig Mazin, who wrote a lot of the, uh, like the hangover movies and the scary movies, but then he goes and writes a TV show like Chernobyl, which is the farthest <laughs> yeah. possible thing from that. So I think that perhaps people consider feature writers like, you know, and like, wasn't Shonda doing, uh, Shonda 
wrote uh, Crossroads or something like that, mm. the Britney Spears movie, and then she goes and writes a bunch of drama. So I, I just personally, I think that features are less restrictive in that regard. No, I definitely agree. And, and to that idea, I mean, you got to remember that feature is, is a lot more based on reputation and who you are and those last credits in a way that TV may not generally be, especially now. Uh, TV, again, is based on a structure. So that's what they're going to be looking at first. Feature, I mean... Like you said, I mean, uh, Craig Mason is defined by his uh, feature career up until Chernobyl, and that completely changed the game for his career, I'm sure. And uh, John August, if you look at the trajectory of his movies, they're very similar, broadly speaking. And so that's how he's able to get that credit. That's not to say that he can't bend the rules. It's just to say that you are defined by your last project in a, in a way that in TV, it's not quite the same way because it's a lo- it's kind of the long game in, in TV because hopefully you're going to be working years and years and years on the same TV show in a way that a feature is more a gun to hire game most times. Right. Whatever is your latest big spec feature that's being floated around town as a sample or to be bought or whatever I think is what people are going to see you through the lens as and whatever they're reading you for for potential assignment work or whatever is how they're going to appraise you rather than being like wait a minute didn't he once write a rom-com uh, yeah. back in the day I mean to that idea I think it is perhaps on some level a pro that you can redefine yourself so easily in feature in a way that for tv it could be much harder because there's a bigger backlog in terms of the career so what if I'm a dramedy writer what should I write? A half hour or an hour long? Por que no los dos? <laughs> well, it kind of depends. Uh, from my perspective, it kind of depends on where you are in your career. If you're a new writer and you've never really written a pilot before, then uh, my advice would be pick one or the other. I think it's the same advice we said three years ago. It's still so true in 2019. Write the thing that you want to be defined as. Look at the show you want to be staffed on. Where are those shows? What do they look for? What kind of content are you inspired by? Write that piece of content. Whether it's a half hour or one hour, that's the piece of content that is going to be defining you because that's the piece of content, first and foremost, that's going to be put out there to define you. Yeah, I agree. Write to the areas that you want to work in and that you're passionate about. One thing I will say is to be very wary of the mediocre dramedy script because a lot of people will take a look at it and be like, well, this is meant to be a half hour comedy script, but there really aren't as many jokes as I would have liked, or it wasn't quite as funny as I would like. If you're not nailing the pathos in your dramedy, then people just think it's going to be a bad comedy. Yeah. And I feel like that's a problem that I see over and over uh, again, uh, especially with new writers is people thinking they're dramedy writers because they are kind of funny and uh, they can tell a bit of a good story. And that's not the reality of TV, right? In TV, if you're a comedy writer, you are coming up with jokes nonstop. That's basically your job. If you're a drama writer, you're coming up with ideas for stories nonstop. Not to say that, obviously, you know, those lines are blurry and you do one or the other. But I'm just saying, broadly speaking, those are the stereotypes. And they hold true 90% of the time in the practicality of the writer's room. So if you're starting out, define who you are, if you're a comedy or a drama person. But doing this as sort of like middling, middle ground of, I'm a dramedy writer. I kind of do both, uh, but I'm not quite sure what I'm writing. That's not going to attract anybody because you're not quite sure who you are. Again, it goes back to dating. (laughs) I don't know why I'm thinking about dating, but it's kind of like when you're creating your dating profile, you got to be direct about who you're looking for, what you want. And uh, that's how people are going to find you. If you're sort of like waffling about who you are as a person, then uh, nobody's going to be interested in you. I think it's fine to be a dramedy writer in the respect that you write both comedies and you write 
dramas or whatever it happens to be, but don't you know, mash them together in such that it's just a very middling version of both. If you look at someone like Dan Fogelman, who has, is now you know huge on This Is Us, it's a very dramatic, soapy, emotional character type thing, uh, and it plays that super well, but he also wrote Cars. You know, he he's he's done straight comedy as well before. He's he's not necessarily blending them together in a middling way. Exactly, and I think that goes back to what I was saying, which is in, in the example you just gave, those are extreme examples of those versions, right? This is us is not a comedy. It's a very melodramatic character-based show that's going to make you cry. It's not a laugh-out-loud comedy or this middling dramedy. It's a one-hour drama, point blank. And Cars is a kid's feature in the same way that Craig Mazin. All of his movies, for better or for worse, are very much in this very specific kind of niche. And Chernobyl is in a very different but very specific kind of niche. So I think it's always been the problem with a lot of the newer dramedy people on the scene is they're not quite sure what they want. They kind of want to do both. They're not quite sure how to execute it. And so they end up with this sort of middling, uh, not really funny, but kind of cute uh, drama, dramedy thing that doesn't really translate to something that's going to propel the career further. Right. There's a lot of very average scripts out there that are competent, and you really do need to blow people away to get their attention. I'd rather see someone write a very strong drama and a very strong comedy and have those samples there and then just submit for the drama thing and say you're a drama writer and then submit for the comedy thing and say you're a comedy writer, then again, have that thing that's in the middle and be like, I do everything. It goes back to being a plumber as opposed to a general handyman. But lastly, if I want to be submitted for a drama room, but I only have half hour samples or vice versa, what do I do? Well, that's what I said earlier. Be strategic about the way you go about things. If it's a half hour thing, let's say you want to be submitted for American Horror Story season 25, and all you have is a half hour family guy spec. Let's be honest here. The problem is with your spec and your approach to your career. Now, if you're writing something that's a little bit more akin to American Horror Story and you think it kind of fits that tone or they're looking for your kind of sensibilities, then I would target that show based on your connections and your pilots and the kind of shows that are looking for the kinds of people that you represent. Otherwise, it's sort of a lose-lose game where you're losing your time by creating something that nobody wants to look at, but you're also losing your time by going to people who are not looking for you. Right. And you might not get a second chance there because they've read you once and you weren't right or they didn't love your material. And so it's not going to be the first thing they pick up off the top of their pile the next time you've gone and written a much better spec. But yeah, for me, the answer is pretty simple. If you only have half hour samples, and you want to work on a one hour show, write a one hour sample, write a really good sample, give it to your reps if you have them or give it to people who are going to read it and prove that you can do it. You know, like we said, in mixed rooms, there is the potential for you to have a, a half hour sample or half hour experience and still get into that room. But they're still going to want to know that you can write that format because that's what you're going to be doing in the room. You're still going to have to write a five act drama type script regardless of your comedy skills. So make the need to know that you can do it. Absolutely. It comes down to perception and perception is reality in life and especially in this business. So like you said, if you're generating the content that matches where you're going out to, then they have at least one reason not to say no. And that's because you wrote an amazing show that matches what they're looking for, as opposed to something completely different. All right. Well, before we go, don't forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You'll get exclusive content, opportunities, merch, uh, great stuff like cheat sheets and exclusive episodes, and we can keep producing a great show for you every week. So thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in. 
As always, you can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 143. And I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas, or questions about TV writing, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Next week, we are going to be sitting down with Tamara Becker Wilkinson, who is a co-executive producer on Doom Patrol. She's written for a number of other great shows like uh, Daredevil, Runaways, Warehouse 13, etc. A uh, ton of great genre superhero experience, and we'll be uh, talking to her about her writing career. And Danny the Street. Shout out to Danny. All right, we'll see you next week. <laughs> see you guys then.